Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. As we're uh, walking through uh, the message this morning, I want to just bring us uh, up to speed with where we've been at in the story and at in the text. Um, We've been walking our way through the book of John and really looking at the story of um, how Jesus prepared his apostles, prepared his leaders to uh, begin to move into the world in a way ultimately without him, ultimately uh, without uh, his physical presence, and begin to uh, fulfill the mission that God had for them, begin to walk out uh, the journey that was going to take them to the uh, four corners of the earth, that was going to bring the gospel over, ultimately over thousands of years to the shores of Canada. And thank you so much, Paul. I'm just going to plug this in. Um, and anyway, as we're preaching through uh, that uh, latter half of the book of John, uh, we, we begin to see some of these intense moments happen where uh, the apostles are beginning to wrestle with the, their calling, they're beginning to wrestle with uh, the struggle that they're going to have as, uh, as Jesus is going to be crucified. Uh, we see the moments of excitement around the resurrection, and ultimately these questions, what are we going to do uh, with our lives uh, going forward? Um, when we look at uh, this, this story, uh, the story of Peter, we're going to walk through over the course of two messages this week and again on the 11th, uh, the story of Peter and his calling into ministry and, and ultimately his restoration into the leadership that he was going to take in the Church of Jerusalem. Um, we, we see this, this commissioning thing happening. Uh, we see it in the other Gospels. We see it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, where it's almost like this commissioning service where Jesus meets with his disciples on the mountain, and they have a conversation. And Jesus says, you know, go ye therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then eventually Jesus sort of rises up into heaven, and you've got this sort of formal moment of commissioning where the disciples are sort of given authority and sent out to do what they're called to do. Uh, but in the book of John, uh, John very often uh, doesn't tell us the, give us the, how the Sunday service went. John often gives us the backstory. John often gives us some of the heart stuff and the relational stuff that's happening behind the scenes. So in the book of John, we don't actually have this, uh, this commissioning service where Jesus says, go ye and rises up into heaven. We have instead in the book of John, his interaction with Peter and the disciples, but we're going to focus on the story of Peter. And we look at this person, uh, this man, Peter, and, and we look at who he was and, and, and the journey that he went through uh, to become ultimately who God would make him to be. And that's the commissioning story in the book of John. And I think for us, as we engage uh, with that under story, with that heart story of this individual uh, wrestling through his calling, uh, we can actually uh, wrestle with our own calling and our own vocation in a little bit of a deeper way. Um, a big part, you know, of, of us understanding our calling, of us understanding our vocation, understanding what God wants us to do in the world, uh, ultimately is a bit of a recognition. As soon as I say, you know, you're called, as soon as I say God has something for you to do, I think most of you would have sort of an immediate in your heart recognition that there, there's something of a gap 
between what you have maybe at one time in your life imagined you're called to, or hoped you were called to, or dreamt you were called to, and the reality of where you're at, or the reality of where you think you're going. Is that safe to say that we are fairly conscious of the gap? And I think that's uh, what we really get uh, in the story of John uh, as he's written Peter's story, that walking through the gap. If we're honest for most of us, that sense of disconnect uh, can bring uh, all kinds of discouragement, it can bring sense of guilt, it can bring all kinds of different things in the struggle. I know for myself, like when, how many of you remember from a couple of weeks ago, Bishop Never visiting here from church? Right, visiting from, uh, from Africa, and this, this, this amazing leader who is, who is very mature in his ministry, uh, who has this uh, strong sense of calling uh, to be uh, who he is. I look at my ministry, and it's, it's very unhealthy to do this, do comparisons, but this guy is like a, a leader, a bishop over dozens of churches, and his ministry has probably seen hundreds or if not thousands of people come to faith. And I look and said, I, I kind of dreamt of those dreams at one time. Not that I had any dream of like being a bishop and overseeing a bunch of churches, but, but I've wanted to see uh, the fruit of thousands coming to faith. I, I, I've wanted to, to take those dreams and, and make them a reality, and I've had that excitement, right? And, and I think there's that possibility even still uh, for me. But when we, when we look at somebody and are confronted with somebody who is uh, kind of like a hero in the faith, we, we feel pretty deeply uh, that gap. You ever compare yourself to, to a mature Christian leader and say, man, I, I don't think I get, I'm ever going to get there. Right? That, that, that's what I felt when, when Bishop Never was speaking uh, last week. So those comparison games are, are, are bad. Um, but in the end, what might God do with us? Uh, every one of us, I think, uh, wrestles through a kind of a curve on our journey um, when, when we think about our, our walk of faith. Very often early in your journey of faith, you will start with a, a high level of confidence. You'll start with, you know, do you remember that initial buzz, that initial excitement when you first came to faith, when you first uh, maybe, maybe heard that God was going to use you? Uh, our first years of sort of following Jesus are, are full of those kinds of excited dreams. Uh, I remember young people coming to faith uh, in Toronto, and you have some a prophetic ministry blast your town and pray over these poor kids and say, you're going to be an evangelist to thousands, and this dream would be implanted in the heart of this kid. And, and they wouldn't be really thinking through the work that's required to become an evangelist to thousands, right? But there's, there's that, that dream implanted, there's that hope, or maybe you had an experience at camp, maybe you had an experience of serving youth in Sunday school, and you felt like, yeah, I'm really connecting here. There's something that God can do, something God can use me for, and, and, and we're full of a hope that God's going to do something. Very often in our journeys, uh, after that time, somewhat, uh, we realize that sometimes the journey is a little harder. Uh, we realize it's a little more difficult. We realize there's a little bit more work to do. And in many cases, we encounter our own failure. We encounter uh, the things in us that didn't work to make it happen. Uh, sometimes we encounter opposition. And we feel like that dream, that hope, that excitement we had when we were uh, new believers has, has diminished a little bit. And of course, uh, as this story goes on, we experience, uh, hopefully, moments of restoration in our lives. Moments where uh, God comes and, and meets with us. Uh, in moments where our ministry didn't be what we, become what we hoped it would be, uh, we, we 
figure out who we are a little bit. God comes and speaks into our brokenness. Uh, God comes and shows us, you know, there's a couple of fatal flaws here in your life that you, you need to work through. Uh, in, in 2017, I, I went through a very, very difficult time in my ministry. And the process of, of seeing restoration from that and seeing healing from that meant admitting some things about myself that I didn't very much want to admit. It, it meant ultimately going through a leader three ship, three, leadership 360 process. Uh, that, that friends supported me in, where all, all, many of you who are leaders in the church got to sort of write uh, a survey and, and sort of observe my leadership from a distance. And some of you said some glowing and wonderful things. And some of you said some things that made me really mad. <laughs> and confronted with the brokenness and the imperfection in my leadership and, and, and much of that still to overcome and much growth still ahead of me. But there's a process of, of being uh, developed that happens as Jesus moves us on to the calling that we have. And then ultimately, the hope is that we would be people who are of high faithfulness, who are of high effectiveness, who are ultimately walking in a fullness of, of what we believe God's called us to and having a strong understanding of that. And, and that really is the same curve that Peter was on. Uh, the beginning of his ministry where he's like, I am Peter. I'm the rock. In fact, I rock. I'm Peter. Like, I'm the man. And all of a sudden, he's like fighting with the other disciples to see who's going to be seated at Jesus' right hand. Uh, his life then plunges into his three denials of Christ around the time of the cross. And he's broken and he's confronted with his, his foolishness. He's confronted with the reality that he's not who he thought he was. And then ultimately, there's this story of restoration and the story, ultimately, of Peter's long life of faithfulness as a leader of the church in Jerusalem, as really the core leader of the church in, in the, the whole uh, Christian world as it developed. And so there's just a moment for us to take a devotional thought. And we're just going to take a little moment and, and pray and kind of ask yourself, you know, where, where am I on that curve? Are you like full of joy and full of a sense of the dreams that God has for you and for your ministry? Or are you looking at those hopes in the rearview mirror and kind of saying, oh man, there were great things that I thought would happen, but they, they haven't happened. This, this thing just hasn't worked out. I'm, I'm a little bit wounded. I'm a little bit disillusioned. Are you in the process of being built up again? Or are you just hoping that might happen someday? Or maybe you are a, a leader who is mature, uh, a disciple who is doing all that God wanted you to, to do with your life. But let's just take a moment and just ask the Lord to identify for us where we're at on that curve as we go through the rest of this message. So Lord, we pray that you will search us and know our hearts. We pray that we would really be able to see where we're at on the journey. Are we like Peter at the beginning of the journey thinking he's all that? And we have a crash ahead of us? Are we disillusioned and we've had dreams and hopes and imaginations of what you might do with our lives? And, and that's in our rearview mirror and we, we, don't, we don't know if those things could happen anymore. Are you in the process of restoring us, building us up?
Are we just required now to walk in long faithfulness? Would you show us where we're at in that story, God, and, and cause us to really hear your voice by your Holy Spirit speaking into the moment that we're experiencing now, Lord? Will you help us to uh, really allow your Spirit to speak through the story of Peter and encourage us in the journey? Would you allow your word to be transformative? As we read the scriptures, would you let uh, them change us? Would your Holy Spirit illuminate to us the things that, that we need to hear? We pray all this in your holy name. Amen. And so we're just going to start at this uh, beginning part of the story. We're going to read uh, up to uh, the story of Peter's denials. And we're just going to learn something uh, from, from his journey as we go. So I'm just going to read from John 13, 36 to 38. Capture this moment just about 24 hours before uh, Peter uh, denied Christ. Simon Peter, where, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. And we have almost five chapters, uh, less than 24 hours though. And Peter is... Uh, Jesus has been arrested, and the story goes on. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, uh, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Jumping to verse 25, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You are not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it. And at once, a rooster crowed. Isn't that an encouraging text? Doesn't that just, yeah, fill you with hope? Um, here we are, we're at this moment of the rooster crowing. Uh, it's a bit of a rough text this morning, uh, but as we go through it, we're going to see that there's lots of hope in it. And just a reminder, just a thought, you know, you're going to have to hear the rooster to get the restoration. <laughs> right? And I think that's true about our lives. Very often you have to hear the rooster to get the restoration. That's what we're going to walk through. 
So there's just a little backstory on Peter. Remember, Peter uh, is the rock. He is the guy who cast his net out the side of the boat and had this miraculous catch of fish that revealed to him a little bit of who Jesus was and a little bit of Jesus' power. Uh, it was at that moment that Peter was called and, and Jesus pronounced this incredible thing over him. I will make you a fisher of men. Uh, you can hear Peter's heart swelling. Peter got to be on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and to see Jesus glorified. And we'll see in the story that Peter had all these moments of actually having his eyes open to who Jesus was, these unique moments of revelation. Uh, he's the guy who jumped out of the boat and, and walked on water for a bit. I mean, he fell in and, you know, Jesus had to rebuke him and all of that. But he, I mean, come on, have any of you walked on water even a little bit? Right? It's a fairly decent, uh, decent uh, part of uh, the story for him. Uh, he's uh, the guy, this passionate guy. Uh, he cut off the high priest's ear. Jesus, of course, had to heal it and fix the guy after that. But, but, but Peter was moving and Peter was shaking. Uh, he's the guy who ran to the tomb. Uh, he's, this, again, this passionate, fiery character. Of course, John beat him to the tomb uh, and uh, was be sure to put that in the text. But, but Peter ran really fast. Um, and so there's all these sort of big moments in this guy's life. He was a mover, a shaker, a guy who was uh, passionate about acting, passionate about getting things done. Uh, but like we said, there are these moments of revelation that Peter had that actually are, are, the, are the really special things that I think Jesus saw in him and that Jesus hoped for for him as, as he began to think about Peter and his ministry and who he would be. John chapter 6, 56 says this. Uh, Jesus is just foreshadowing. He's just teaching um, ultimately about what we experience in communion. Jesus teaches, uh, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood and abides in me and I in him. And, uh, and at that time, uh, you know, people are, are, are hearing that this is, this is a weird teaching. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people are walking away from Jesus. And people are rejecting him. And, and people are not going to follow him. And, and Jesus sort of asks the disciples and says, hey, guys, are you going to, I know it's a tough teaching. Or are you guys going to leave me too? And it's that boldness of Peter that says, um, hey, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we've believed and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So Peter, we see, he sees Jesus. He's, he's committed to him in his heart. He, he's expressing things to him that, that sound to us like passionate love. Uh, and, and we go on, uh, jumping to one from Matthew chapter 16. And, and can imagine hearing Jesus say this to you. And I tell you, you are Peter. Maybe put your own name in there for a second. And I tell you, you are Ruth. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, now, what would happen in your heart if you heard Jesus saying something like that to you? What would that do inside of you? What would that do in your heart? Uh, I think for most of us, uh, we would uh, kind of feel like we've got a maid in the shade, right? We've kind of feel like, yeah, we, we, I'm the bomb. 
yeah, thank you, Jesus. I, I, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do this thing with you. And I think you'll remember probably what that felt like when, when you were young, when you were first called into faith. I, I remember when, when I first had an encounter with Jesus and I knew that he was real, uh, there were some really sort of like positive but crazy things we did. I, I, I felt one day, you know what, we, we, I got to go proclaim the gospel. And I drove myself downtown and I parked down on the back of Parliament Hill when you used to be able to drive up there, parked behind the library and I walked around the front of Parliament Hill and I stood up on the peace uh, or on the uh, eternal flame, uh, the Confederation flame, and I preached a wicked evangelistic sermon to absolutely nobody. Um, <laughs> I was going to reach them, right? This passion in my heart. I mean, I think I recall some guy there being like, uh, I'm trying to get a picture of the Peace Tower. Could you just kind of, you know, do one of those, right? But this zeal, this excitement, this passion, I'm going to change the world. Um, I remember actually we did, you know, we were going to reach our friends at, at CPHS and we actually uh, rented Calvary Pentecostal Church back then and we ran the champion. We remember Carmen the champion, that old play. Some, I'm actually kind of glad most of you don't. It was pretty bad. Um, but we, we ran that thing here on, on this stage, you know, and invited all of our friends at school to it. Like a passion, excitement. God's going to do something. Nobody really came, but, but it was a really exciting time for us. Um, we, we actually showed Thief in the Night in, in our high school. Uh, again, this is, this is too old for you guys. I don't know if you know, but this was like a, an old movie that gave children nightmares about the rapture when they were young. But we thought that was going to reach our friends uh, in school. But because there's this, there's this passion in, in us. And we have these encounters with Jesus. We have these dreams about who we're going to be. And, and we do these exciting things. And like Peter, I think we can let these things get us too big for our britches. Uh, we, I remember at the same time, I was pretty judgmental of my parents. I thought, oh, my church is so stuck in the mud. Uh, they're just not in touch with what God's doing now. Pretty judgmental. And pretty soon, those heady experiences of, of the dreams and visions that we have coming at us from God can sometimes translate uh, into Peter fighting with John about who's going to be seated at the right hand of Christ. Right? We, we let them fill us up. We let some of these things uh, puff us up. And we can do all kinds of other crazy things with them. Uh, you know, you can let them go to your head, uh, let you become a little inflated, as Peter did. Um, maybe it's just disbelieving the dreams that you feel like God has for your life. Have you ever had just the sense of an inkling that God might want to use you in a certain way, in a certain place? Maybe for some of you, it was an actual sense of a call to ministry, a call to follow him and, and to study and to become a pastor. And you say, uh, I, I'm just, I, just, I, I just don't want to do that. I, I don't think you could be choosing me. Um, maybe it's a dream of, uh, of you know, caring for kids. Maybe it's a dream of being involved in Sunday school. Maybe it's a dream of uh, learning how to worship and lead people. Uh, before the throne of God, and, and maybe you've disqualified yourself. Maybe you've said, you know what, there's, there's stuff in my life that I don't think I can overcome. There's, there's, there's no space, there's no place for me to, to pursue uh, that dream. Uh, sometimes we rebel against those things that God speaks to us, right? Sometimes we think God might be calling me to this ministry, he might be calling me to this thing, but I simply don't want to pay the price for it. 
I don't want my life to be about that. I don't want to have to make the sacrifices that would be necessary uh, to get there. And I just don't want God telling me what to do. Right? And we rebel against that inner call that God has on our lives to fulfill whatever our vocation in Christ is. Uh, Sometimes these things, uh, our failure can just result in disappointment. Uh, Sometimes they can make us feel guilty. But what we take from this text is that um, Jesus doesn't protect us from God's expectations and hopes for us. Jesus didn't need to tell this to Peter, right? Jesus knew that Peter was going to fall. He knew that Peter was going to get big-headed. He knew that Peter was going to argue with John. He knew that Peter was going to take the information that he'd given him about his life. And and it was going to actually mess Peter up. But Jesus didn't protect him from that. Jesus could have easily sort of said, uh, I'm going to manage Peter's ego here and not say anything at all. And I think what God does for us uh, in, in beginning to reveal his dreams for us and beginning to uh, speak to us about what he's calling us to uh, is to... Uh, begin to give you the pieces that you need, even faultingly, even failingly, to begin to walk in the direction that he's calling you to. Very often, uh, he will point you in the direction of the mountain, knowing there's a valley between here and there. But he wants you to walk anyway. He wants you to go anyway. He wants you to fall down the valley if you have to. Of course, he doesn't want that for us, but he wants his vision for us enough that he is willing uh, to risk that struggle and risk that inner transformation that is going to feel painful for us in the moment, but ultimately be the thing that strengthens us coming up the other side. And so I just want to ask us again another devotional question. Has God revealed something of his dreams for your life that you need to pay attention to? Something that you've maybe given up on? Maybe something that you've forgotten? Maybe just an inkling of hope that you just shoved aside so fast it barely registered. But somewhere in there is a seed of God's calling on your life. A seed that says, my life can be more than, than, than what it is right now. I don't want to think about the pain of the gap between me and that vision. I don't want to think about that right now. But, Lord, I'm open to it. I'm open to hearing from you. I'm open to you uh, blowing fresh fire on those coals, fresh breath on those coals. And awakening that in me again. And so let's just pray. And again, let's open ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Lord, I know that you have spoken uh, to people here. You have given us dreams that, that are, some, some of our dreams are hubris. They're just, they're just foolish things from us. But, but some of the dreams that we have are, are actually dreams from you. We hardly want to think about them, God, because we've gotten sidetracked from them. 
Our pride has kept them from them. Our fear has kept us from them. But we just ask, Lord, that you would uh, remind us and that you would refresh the calling in our lives. For those here that uh, have underneath their lives a call to ministry that's been stuffed down, Lord, I just ask that you would fan the flames. For those who've had uh, even, even little dreams to pursue, uh, hopes of reaching their friends, hopes of freedom from addictions, hopes of whatever it is, hopes of whatever testimony you might have in our lives. Lord, if we've shut those down, if we've locked them down and, and ignored them and forgotten them and hidden them away, Lord, would you reawaken them to us? Would you make them clear? Would you make them plain again? We pray. Amen. Amen. And so here's Peter. He's at this stage in his journey where uh, those dreams for him in this moment are full and fresh and full of life. And as we read in John 13, uh, Jesus is describing the journey that's ahead of him. And he says to Peter, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you'll follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? He says, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you've denied me uh, three times. And so this is happening again in the upper room. This is happening in this moment when Jesus has been hinting to the disciples, um, I'm about to go away. Um, and, and Peter's response uh, to this is not, uh, I'm going to enter into this grief with you. It's not, I'm going to walk with you uh, through the pain of the cross. It's an imagining, I think, in Peter's heart that is still sort of alive with the uh, hopes of the conquest of Jerusalem and the hopes that Peter will be part of the journey to kick Rome out of the city. Um, all the while, well, Jesus knows he's going to the cross. And what we see in this moment, I think, where Peter has this incredible disconnect between what Jesus is calling him to and what Peter thinks he's able to accomplish is uh, we see, I think, Jesus meeting us, just as he meets Peter, uh, with an incredible sovereign love and commitment. Now think of Peter um, sharing this uh, excitement that he's going to follow Jesus. Uh, he's going to go where he's going. He's going to stick with Jesus through thick and thin. And Jesus knowing in his heart that Peter is actually going to deny him, is actually going to abandon him. Now imagine yourself in Jesus' shoes and you know that you're going to go through a hard thing and that your friend is like, yeah, I'm totally with you. But you know in your heart of hearts that your friend is going to uh, turn and leave you and abandon you in your hour of need. What would be your response to that friend? You'd abandon them first, wouldn't you? I think ultimately, if you knew they were going to abandon you, would, would you trust them? Would you, uh, would you say encouraging things to them? And what we see in the next five chapters uh, after this encounter 
is Jesus word by word, moment by moment through one of the most important messages in, in the scriptures, pouring out his heart and life to Peter. We went through it through the series of Lent. Uh, oh, little children, do not let your heart be troubled. Oh, Peter, don't let your heart be troubled. If someone was about to abandon you and ditch you and leave you on the side of the road, would you be saying, oh, friend, don't let your heart be troubled? I just don't think that's how we'd react. But we see in Jesus this incredible faithfulness, this incredible um, knowing that Peter was going to betray him in the deepest possible way and continuing to pour into Peter in love. And so I want us to know that. I want us to know that about Jesus. Wherever you're at on your journey, if you are at a place of betrayal, if you're at a place of having turned away from him, if you're at a place of having denied the calling that's on your life, if you're at a place of having denied, uh, and, and, and even if you have those ahead of you in your journey, the, this possibility that you're going to just walk away from Jesus. He is still radically committed to your calling and to who you are, even when you're not. He's still invested in you. He's still pouring into you. He's still developing you. He's still there caring for you. He's still there saying to you, uh, when, when, when you're going to betray him, he's saying, oh, don't let your heart be troubled. It's the maturity and the strength of Jesus. He is committed to you. And he loves you. And so knowing that, uh, Jesus has just been pouring into his life. Peter heard Jesus say, you're going to betray me. And then Jesus is immediately pouring into his life and investing in him and loving on him and caring for him. And, and just 24 hours later, Jesus finds uh, Peter finds that Jesus has been arrested, and he finds himself at the door. The servant girl comes to him and says, Are you not one of this man's disciples, this man who has just preached to you for five chapters, and loved on you for five chapters, and washed your feet around the table, and walked with you, and prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? This is what he's walked through with Jesus. He's seen Jesus arrested. He's seen Jesus loving him and pouring himself out on him. And Peter says, oh, I, I don't know him. <laughs> I don't know him. Moments later, Simon Peter is standing by the door, warming himself. He says, are you not one of his disciples, they say? Uh, he denied it and said, I am not. And we have from the Matthew account, he said that with an oath. Like, I am not. And then you can insert those squiggly characters from the top of your keyboard there. I am not, like, like vehemently, like I am not, I do not know this guy. And then moments later, another servant of the high priest comes. Uh, this is the man whose Peter, whose ear, uh, a, a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off, right? You're going to remember the guy who cut off your uncle's ear, right? You're going to remember that guy? You remember his face? Like, I saw you, you cut off my uncle's ear. I saw you do it. 
And Peter begins to call down imprecations. He begins, we see this in Matthew 26, 74. He began to call down curses and he swore to them. Right? He's saying this. He's saying, uh, strike me dead if I've ever met the guy. Right? He's calling down curses on himself. And it says this. Is he, it's crazy. I swear. He swore. It's not like, not like a curse word. I swear on the name of Yahweh that I don't know who. Yahweh. Who's Jesus? Jesus is God. I swear on the name of God that I don't know God. Look at the incredible, uh, the incredible betrayal in that. How far Peter has fallen. And I want us to wrestle with that for a moment because we have, every one of us, those moments in our lives. And maybe we haven't gotten to the place of Peter. Uh, we're not in the place where people are going to stone us and whip us if we admit we're part of the Christian family. We're not going through that kind of persecution. But you have stood in the workplace uh, with a friend who has said, hey, you're a Christian. Like, what, what do you think about this? You said, I got a call. Right? We've, we've denied him. We've had moments where we have not owned our faith. We have not owned our relationship with Jesus. But I think for most of it's more subtle. In, in chapter 18, verse 18, there's this little piece in the text. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also is with them standing and warming himself. And see, so, right, you, you see the scene? Jesus is just inside the room. He's on trial with Caiaphas. And Peter is there. He's been, been kind of dragged in by, by another disciple. What's he doing? He's standing to the side of the room, just by the door. He's kind of warming himself by the fire. And he's blending in with the very soldiers who are going to whip Jesus and who are going to crucify him. And we walk in that kind of betrayal more easily than we would maybe call down curses upon ourselves. Do you ever just blend in to avoid being seen with Jesus, being known as one of his people? And do we sometimes comfort ourselves by the fire of the world? Do we sometimes comfort ourselves by the things that the enemies of Jesus are comforting themselves. We just want to fit in. We just want to blend. We just want a little comfort. We don't want to be standing where Jesus is standing. And our betrayal of our callings and our betrayal of a passion for, uh, for every believer to be an evangelist, all of those things often come as we just quietly stand by the comfort of the world, blending in with everybody else and not standing where Jesus is standing. Would you say with me that that is where you fit in the story some of the time? That's where I fit. That's where I'm at in the story. And at that moment, 
just after Peter has called down those curses, as Peter is standing there by the comfort of the fire, blending in with the soldiers, Peter hears a rooster crow. The miracle is said specifically in the text, a rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. It's a bit of a miracle, isn't it? It's not just that the rooster crowed at that moment, but God shut up all the roosters until that moment. It's actually, I think, a fairly significant miracle. At once a rooster crowed, and from the Matthew text, and Peter remembered the sayings of Jesus, before the rooster crowed, you will deny me three times, and he went out and wept bitterly. That word, wept, is a Greek word, kaio. When you, when you think of weeping, I, th- I think you probably imagine weeping like I do. It's kind of like a, like a quiet sob. <laughs> That's not what that word is in the text. That word is an allowed sobbing. It is an uncontainable, audible grief. It is an uncontainable, audible grief. In that moment where Peter had every opportunity to stand and say that he was with Jesus, he chose the path that led to grief. A deeper grief, I think, than he would have experienced as he stood, had he stood with Jesus. And that word pirkos, for bitterness, it's an anger or disappointment at unmet expectations in yourself or in others. Peter wept aloud. Bitter disappointment that what he'd imagined about his life, that what he'd imagined would happen, that what he'd imagined his life would be had, had not happened, and in fact, the opposite had been true of him. And I think this is a truth that we can take from the text. If our lives are not marked with the outward expression of our calling to Christ... they will be likely marked by the outworking of grief. Peter was not able to contain the grief. He did not work out his calling. He did not work out his passion to follow Jesus, but he did work out pain. And I think that is something for us to wrestle with. Is there grief in your life? Is there there pain in your life? Is there bitterness in your life? Is there disappointment in your life? life? Simply because you've not heeded the call of Christ. Simply because you've not heeded a call to obedience and a call to faithfulness. I don't think it's possible to walk through life and ignore your calling and not feel some pain over that. For Peter, it most certainly was worked out with loud sobbing as he ran away from the room, as he ran away from Christ. And maybe you're here and you're a Christian or you're not a believer yet. And you're hearing that call. 
to faith. You're hearing that call, that invitation that Jesus is making. And, and there is a thing inside you that is resisting. There's a thing inside you that is saying, I don't think I want to follow. I don't think I want to do the Jesus journey. I, I'm scared about what that means. And this is not meant to make you fearful, and this is not meant to scare you into Christianity, but if you miss the call of Christ on your life, if you miss that invitation, if you ignore that invitation, the only result is grief. The joy comes in following. The joy comes in going where he's calling us to go. If you are repetitively ignoring invitations to follow Jesus, grief is what we will experience and what will be worked out in our lives. And we remember this moment. And I, and I think Peter, in that moment when the rooster crowed, cannot have forgotten his conversation with Jesus just 24 hours ago. What do we get from that moment with the rooster crowing? Where does that take us to in our conversation and in our journey with Jesus? One, it gets us a really honest uh, look at who we are. Right, Peter knew in that moment where the rooster crowed that he was insufficient to be all that he wanted could be. He, he knew his starting point. And I think there's actually hope and there's actually joy in knowing what our real starting point is. And in the moment of the rooster crowing in our lives, the moment of recognizing the gap between who we are and who we're called to be, there is tremendous hope because we know how we can solve the problem or we can see ways to solve the problem from the reality of knowing what the problem is. My friend Donnie and I, we used to go four-wheeling and we would get into the, the, the mud going through a swamp and, and we would get to the point where the wheels are spinning and I would be gunning it, like, like trying to make the wheels go, like just ripping it, uh, dirt flying everywhere and the vehicle just, just inching itself forward, inching itself forward. And Donnie would say, he would have to tell me, like, man, you're, do, you, do you know you're stuck? Like, do you know you're stuck? Like, let's, let's, let's do the winch thing. <laughs> right? Let's winch you out of this. There's freedom in knowing you're stuck because there's a solution in knowing you're stuck. So we see the crowing of the rooster as an incredible gift of grace from God. An incredible gift of grace from him. Uh, the other thing we know in that moment is, and, and Peter knew in that moment is, at that moment, like, without a doubt, he knew that Jesus knew. I mean, Jesus wasn't, wasn't uh, able to talk to Peter at that moment. Jesus was shackled. Uh, Jesus was uh, in the middle of a trial in Caiaphas' court. Uh, Jesus couldn't uh, interact with Peter, but in setting up that call of the rooster's voice to Peter, uh, through that voice, Jesus was reaching into Peter's soul and saying, Peter, I saw this moment. You remember I told you about it. Remember I knew about it. And remember, I loved you before. I loved you through. And I will love you after. The presence of conviction in the middle of our failure is a gift of love. It's a gift of love. 
that moment of repentance, that moment of conviction, that moment of knowing is a moment of the presence of the love of Jesus. You know he cares. He has not abandoned you in that moment. You should be scared if you don't hear him in that moment. He loves you. He cares for you. I remember the story of a roommate that I had in, in college and and he you know he was a he was a guy who was like in, in every way like a, a talented able-bodied guy with an incredible story uh, that he told. He'd been in Iraq and, and had been a soldier there. Uh, his role had been as, as a nurse in medical evac and also as a surgical nurse. And he had this incredible story of things that he'd done uh, in the war. And, uh, and sometime just before uh, the Christmas break, I'd been praying and the Lord just uh, just, just spoke in my heart. And I had no idea that, 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 that he had been untruthful. But the Lord just spoke in my heart about Bob and, and said, it, it's a lie. None of those things happened. And the Lord showed me a picture, a little word of knowledge, uh, showed me uh, a picture of, of a name tag on his chest from Target that was upside down, just a weird little image. And, and I said, okay, Lord, what do, you, what do you want me to do with this? What do you want me to do with this funny little picture you've given me? And I just wrote down the little story, and I folded it up on a piece of paper, and I put it in my desk and continued to walk uh, with Bob through the next four months of, um, of our time together, you know, sharing space in that dorm. And finally, the moment came when, when Bob cracked and of his own volition, he, he confessed that, that he'd made up the whole thing, that he wasn't a nurse, that he hadn't been to Iraq, that he uh, had, had, had worked at Target. And, and I held him out the, the, the little note. I went into my desk and I pulled it out. And, and, I, and I opened it up and I said, did you used to have your, your name tag on backwards? He said, that was always my joke. I always put my name on backwards. What does that do for him? What did that moment of that rooster crow do for him? He had a testimony of four months of me caring for him, of me being his friend, knowing that he lied, knowing that he wasn't who he thought he was, knowing that he wasn't who he presented himself as. And in the end, when the revelation came, he knew that he'd been loved and cared for and included all through it. God loves us like that. Like he will just tell us and he will just let us walk through uh, these delusions about ourselves so patiently sometimes. And then when the reality comes that we admit we're broken and we admit uh, that we don't know who we are, that we desperately need him, we'll see some sign that he loved us all along and loved us all the way through. And I think it's that love, that knowing that Jesus knew that broke Peter and actually part of what transformed his heart and part of what made it possible for him to go forward. And then this other line, brief, brief line from this conversation. Simon Peter, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow me afterwards. 
and I'm pretty sure, certain Peter would have held on to that one pretty tight. I will still follow you afterwards. Uh, you, you said that too. I can follow you. And Peter hears in the heart of God and hears in that conversation as insurmountable as our denials and our failures and our feelings of disqualification might seem, they are small relative to the incomparable persistence of Christ. Our failures are so small. Our failures are so human. Our failures are on our scale. Grace uh, is on God's scale. Grace is persistent. Grace is unstoppable. And the invitation to follow him never, ever stops broadcasting. We can, we can miss it. We can catastrophically miss things he's called us to. And we have to deal many times in our lives with ultimate failure. But there is always a call into the presence. There is always a call into relationship. There is always a call into the more. And so I just want to ask us in this moment, can, can you hear the rooster crow in your life? Can, can you hear the rooster crow? And can you hear the love of Jesus in the rooster's crow? Can you hear the grace of Jesus in the rooster's crow? Can you hear the invitation to calling in the rooster's crow? Can you hear the knowing that he knew in the rooster's crow? And can you hear the first steps on your journey to restoration in it? And that's what Peter heard. And that's what we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. But God is passionate about who he's made you to be and who he's called his churches to be as bodies. He is passionate about who you might be in the kingdom. And he's passionate to see his glory reflected out into the world through you. So will you hear the rooster crow? And you will you begin the process of restoration? Simon, you guys can come ahead if you don't mind. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovchurch.ca.